Thank you, Di. Well, I wouldn't be able to do anything that I do without her and the support of our family and, of course, God's grace, because whatever we do, God will grace us for. Um, so I want to pray. Father, we thank you for today. Today we're celebrating 15 years of our church. But when we think of the big scheme of things, that we are part of an ever and never-ending kingdom, your word declares that of the increase of your government and peace, there will be no end. This morning, I pray that we would just catch something of the vastness of your plan, not just for us as individuals, but for mankind, for humankind, for the reality of your divine purpose, that we are part of the continuum of the most amazing momentum that has ever taken place on the face of the earth. And today we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done, that it would be done in each one of us first, in each one of our families, in each one of our homes, in our church, in our church community, our community, our city, our state, this nation and the world. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And we thank you, Lord, that we are eternal beings with an eternal destiny, with a divine purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Give Jesus another big hand of praise. You can be seated. And thank you to the worship team. And a special thanks to Sammy. First time on drums. And, uh, well, first time on drums in our church. And what a great job he did. Um, awesome. So, so good. Well, we're sure glad that we took that step of faith 15 years ago and came and started the church here. And of course, we want to say hi to everyone that's watching online and uh, to all those who maybe are going to watch at a later time or a, a later date. Uh, we want to thank you for your, your partnership in, in, in the last 15 years. And of course, we are here today not just because of what Di, the step of faith that Di and I took, but the many, many, many different steps of faith that different people have taken over the years. And we are so thankful for that, thankful for their partnership, thankful for your partnership, and uh, so appreciative of it. Uh, there's a couple of people here. How many people were here in our very first meeting? Um, stand up, if you were. Stand up. I think, I think here today... Of course, my wife, Di, Robin Duma, and Jess, who was then Jess Hennessy, now Jess Abbott. And uh, yeah, give them a hand. They, they've been with us the whole way and uh, very excited. And of course, different people have come at different times. Um, I was kind of chuckling when, when Di was talking about the changes that had taken place because, of course, so many different changes. I think I had, she said I had a Blackberry and there was no iPhone. And remember, uh, remember my, my space? Uh, back in the day, you know, when we started the church, there was no real FaceTime, was only just getting underway. It was in its early stages. I always used to call it my face and uh, get it mixed up with my space. But we didn't have social media, didn't have Instagram. Everything we did was by word of mouth uh, or by email. And so many changes in the last 15 years, if you think about exponential changes that have taken place. For us, of course, we came here, and, and London, who's a 13-year-old, of course, had not yet been born, and uh, so much has transpired. But I'm inspired about not just what has been, but I'm inspired about what will be. And I want to share a little bit today about that, about the significance of the milestone, the significance of the moment, and in a sense, um, hopefully inspire something in you about what God has for you individually and what God has for us collectively. I do have to chuckle because Di talked about the, this, um, this pass and that we received in the mail the uh, little sticker that you put on your windscreen. Well, actually, uh, she doesn't know this, but uh, we received that sticker uh, two years ago, and it was stuck in my drawer, 
And I thought, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And then yesterday I got a bill, uh, a, a bill in the mail uh, from the transit department or whatever because we, we renewed a or we got a new car, a new lease on a vehicle and it didn't have the, it wasn't, the, the number plate wasn't registered. So I decided, okay, well it's probably about time that I take that sticker out and I put it on there. So there's my confessions, I'm sorry. But we were paying the toll because they had the number, you know, we'd registered the number plate of the previous vehicle. So I thought, what's the point? Why put the sticker on when it works anyway? So, you know, there was some, there was some, some reason in that. But anyway, there you go. So I'm putting the sticker on today. All right, well, we... Uh, there is so much that I could say. Uh, we started the church 15 years ago. I think everyone's, uh, everyone knows that when God began to speak to me uh, and die, and you die, God had spoken to die way before me. It seems like God speaks to the women before the men. We're slower of hearing. And uh, I'm, not a, I, I'm not one of those people that believe that, you know, God, will, uh, God is going to tell me everything that I need to do. He's given me a will. He's given me, he, God, you know, basically, I think some of you may have heard the, the story about the man who was, you know, a very spiritual person. He was in his closet, and he was looking at his clothes, and he was wondering what he could wear, and he couldn't make up his mind, so he decided he'd pray. And so he prayed, and he asked God, and didn't hear an answer, and then he prayed again, and he, he thought, well, maybe I'm not praying the right way, so he prayed again, and eventually he heard God. He heard God speaking to him, and he heard this voice coming from heaven. And this is what God said, I'm your father, not your mother. <laughs> so, there you go. But in my, in my searching and in my, you know, real soul searching, I felt like eventually God left the decision to me. And he said, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay in Australia? And we had everything. You know, it wasn't like we left Australia, like we've got to get out of this place. You know, like that song about Kathmandu from back in the 70s. Um, it was, it was we, were, we were doing good. We just built a, a, a beautiful extension on a, on a house. Uh, we had, which was just a, a walk from the boys' school. We had everything that was going for us. We were only around the corner from Dai's parents. Uh, we had family, we had friends, we were part of a great church, but we just felt this stirring in us. And I felt like God saying to me, will you make the decision? And uh, will you do it? And at the end of the day, I, in my soul searching, I, I came to this conclusion, I don't want to die wondering. I don't want to come to the end of my life wondering, what if we'd gone to California? What if we'd taken that step of faith? And so we took that step of faith and God met us at that point. And I want to really encourage you in your faith. Um, it doesn't just require faith to move. It requires faith to stay sometimes. Right now, I want to say this, and I'm saying this in the best possible way. It requires faith for many people to stay in California. You've heard about the Texodus. And I'm not speaking against anything. I want you to hear me in, in the right way. Sometimes it requires more faith to stay than it does to move. But one thing I do know is that when we take steps of faith, God will always meet us. I'm not talking about blind leaping into the dark, but I'm talking about real genuine faith. And I want to encourage you in your faith. And in a sense, I want to frame the message that I have for you today with, with this introduction. To have faith and to believe God. We're 15 years in as a church. For some, it's a year, two years, 10 years, and longer. But we, this is us corporately. So I'm thinking, God, I'm believing you for the next 15 years. What is coming? What am I going to be doing? How am I going to be strategizing? What is the plan for the next 15 years? And I know it's going to require faith. Because the just shall live by faith, and God honors our faith. And so I want to really encourage you in your faith and in your journey, trust God, believe God, 
God is not only able, but He's willing in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So, um, every year we have a focus, and our focus for this year is awesome, and I'm so glad that you are present here today. Uh, God's presence makes all the difference. Our presence makes a difference. You may not think that your presence here makes any difference to anybody else. It does. And we should never forget that. And we are all, I've been speaking recently about being beneficiaries and benefactors. We're all beneficiaries of what those who've gone before us have paved the way for us to experience. But now we have the opportunity to be benefactors to the next to those who follow, to those who are coming up behind us. And I, I was, I'm kind of two-thirds of the way through that series, so I'm going to put pause on that series. You can pause on that, and I'm going to jump into what this message and what I want to speak about today and what 15 means for us as a church. Biblical celebrations throughout the, the Bible they set for us a pattern. You notice that I'm starting to speak like an American after 15 years. They set a pattern for us, um, and they're times to remember what has been. They're times to acknowledge what's been achieved. They're times to thank God for what's gone before. They're time to thank those who helped us to get to where we are, to thank God and to lift our eyes to see what lies ahead. And as I think about the next 15 years, we're thinking about a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 15-year plan for us as a church. And I'm already in the process of that, and Di and I and our core team are already in the process of navigating that and looking at that and what that, uh, what that means. But just to... Uh, in a sense, take a moment to pause on this milestone. We are at a milestone, a 15-year milestone. Remember back in the day, well, we didn't have, si you know, uh, aluminum signs or whatever they're made of, metal, metal signs. There were stones that had carved in them in Roman letters and the Roman numerals, the milestones. They were milestones. And a and a milestone does several things. It tells you how far you've come. It tells you how far you have to go to get to your destination. I know about you, but I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of compulsively when I'm driving and I'm going somewhere and I know we've got to go 300 miles, I'm always looking at how far we've been, how long to go. I know your iPhone tells you that now, but I'm looking at that and I'm measuring it based on my speed, of course, keeping to the speed limit. What time am I going to get there? A milestone tells us what it has taken us to get to where we are. Oh my gosh, if I think of what it's taken us to get to these 15 years, or what it may have taken you to get to where you are, what it's it also tells us what it's going to take to get to our destination. It tells us a milestone enables us to take stock of the condition we're in. Hopefully, if, you know, the Olympics are coming up, hopefully if you are a 1,500-meter runner, which is one of the blue ribbon events of the Olympics, you are not, you have not used up all your energy and stamina at the 800 meter mark. You want to be waiting until the third lap, until you just let it all go and sprint to the finish line with everything that you've got. It, it, it enables you to take stock of your condition. And it also, it enables you to take or make the changes that are required to get into shape so that you can reach your destination. And I hope that some of the things that I share today will kind of uh, stimulate some thoughts. Obviously, I will not, I am not going to be, um, I am not going to necessarily be able to cover this subject comprehensively, 
But I want to talk a little bit about the significance of the number 15. The number 15 in the Bible is significant or symbolic of rest and restoration. Rest and restoration. And I want you to think about those words and kind of let them settle in your heart. And I want to talk a little bit about what that means. And before I talk about that, I I believe that that number for us as a church is significant. Not only because we've reached the 15-year milestone, but I believe it's prophetic. And I believe that it's prophetic for the moment. Now, does that mean that we've reached the 15-year mark and then all of a sudden it's going to be a year of hay and sunshine and and restoration of everything that's been lost? No. But it does mean that it's a moment when God will highlight a a truth to us. He will highlight something to us that He wants us to take note of and pay attention to. And if we do, then we will begin to discover some of the secrets or some of the keys that God wants to bring to us. God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. The universe that God created is not random. It's designed with infinite detail from the smallest particle to the enormity of the universe. One of the great ironies of my experience or life is that I grew up in a little village One of the places I lived was a little village called Over Norton, just outside of Chipping Norton in Gloucestershire in the Cotswolds in England. And my stepmom was good friends with a family called the Dawkins family, of which Richard Dawkins was the son who went to Oxford University. And I used to play in the house of Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is the most notorious atheist on the planet and debates... Uh, debates uh, atheism all over the world, is, is, is highly renowned, um, and wrote a book called The God Delusion. And I grew up playing in his house. And my stepmother nearly married him instead of my father. And here I am today standing on a platform proclaiming the truth of God's Word, <laughs> proclaiming the fact that God is not a delusion, but God is a reality, and that God is a God who wants to be present in our lives. God is a God who wants to bring us rest. God is a God who wants to bring us restoration. God is a God who is active and working in our world to see His kingdom come and His will be done. And there's an order, a divine order in everything that God does. There are patterns in the universe. For example, music. If you're a musician or you're a a drummer. Uh, I think we can call drummers musicians. If we're just, I'm just playing with the drummers. I'm sorry, Sammy. Yes, drummers are musicians. There are patterns in, in, in music, in the scales, in the arpeggios, in, 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 in the structure of music. There are patterns in it. There are patterns in mathematics. There are patterns in the universe. The torus is a core element of every part of God's creation. There are patterns in physics. In all of creation, there are patterns. There are patterns in God's Word. And then, of course, there are cycles. The spring, summer, fall, and winter. Then there are codes. Every scientific discovery is the unlocking of a code that is a key to a whole new world, whether it's mathematics, whether it's medical, whether it's technological, whatever it may be, there are codes that God encoded into His creation. And there are numerical sequences as well that we find in everything in, 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 within our DNA, within the structure of everything that God created, including in God's Word and including in our lives. And if we understand those patterns, and if we understand those cycles and those codes and those numerical sequences, it opens up a whole new world of understanding. There's an awesome verse in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 2, which says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. 
What an amazing thought. That means, and, and that word also means privilege. It's our privilege to search out a matter. And sometimes we don't, we don't get the code. We don't get the, 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 the principle. Why? Because we're not searching it out. And every time I read my Bible, and I've been reading this for close to 50 years, pretty much every day, well, 42 years pretty much every day, and then prior to that, it was because I was made to at school. But um, when I read, every time I read this, I find new codes, I find new patterns, I find new keys that unlock understanding and unlock revelation and unlock something fresh and new because I'm not waiting for it to be dished out to me on Sunday. I'm not waiting for it to be dished out to me on a uh, podcast, but I'm getting into the Word myself and I'm searching it out because I'm a king. Did you not know that? Did you not know that I'm part of the royal family? It's gone very quiet in here. So are you. Because the Bible tells, says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart to God. You have royalty in your veins, and it is the glory or the privilege of kings to search out a matter. I want to encourage you this year, search it out. Find out those codes. Find those cycles. Find those patterns for yourself. This is the Passion Version. God conceals the revelation of His Word in the hiding place of His glory. But the honor of kings is revealed how they thoroughly search out the deeper meaning of all that God says. Are you ready to search out the deeper meaning of what God is saying in His Word for your life so that you can start to discover some of the great secrets. Jesus told his disciples when his disciples said, why is it that you tell us these stories? Why do you encode your parables so that people don't understand? Because many of the people didn't understand the parable of the sower. They didn't understand the parables that Jesus told until Jesus decoded them. And Jesus basically said, I'm encoding them because I want to present them to people who are willing to search out the deeper meaning of my word. God is looking for you. He's looking for me to search out the deeper meaning in his word so that we can decode some of the things that are going to revolutionize our lives. Many of you will be aware of the Enigma Code, which was a code that was developed by the Germans prior to the Second World War as they were gearing up for their invasions of Czechoslovakia and Poland and, and, and ultimately France. They developed what was called the Enigma Code, which was a very complex code that they were going to use uh, in order to communicate so that they could facilitate their... Um, their assault on the Western world. They did that because in the First World War, they had a code that was written down in a book, and it was captured by the Russians in the First World War, given to the British, and the British used it to decode the movements of the German uh, forces during the First World War, and was very significant in their victory. <laughs> the thing is that Winston Churchill, in all his wisdom, wrote a book about the First World War, and in his book, In the First World War, he told the story about how they'd captured the book with the codes and how important it was in their victory. And of course, as the Germans were gearing up for war in the Second World War, they thought, okay, thank you, Winston Churchill. You just told us that we need to develop a more complex system and a more complex code so that uh, it's not going to get cracked. The code won't be cracked. We'll be able to communicate. And so they developed this Enigma code. And over the years, it developed, and at the same time, prior to the war, first of all, it was the Polish, and then the French, and then ultimately, they handed the information they had to the British, and the British began to try to unravel 
and try to crack the Enigma code. And um, at one time, there were 10,000 people that were working on trying to crack the code. It was that important. And uh, the variables on the code were 10 to the power of the 23rd. Now, you probably don't know what that is. Of course, as a mathematical genius, I know that that means that it was, let me see, uh, 100,000 billion billion to one. Let me say that again. 100,000 billion billion to one. You won't be able to work that out on your iPhone. It doesn't have that capability. But they finally cracked the code. And when they cracked the code, it was the major breakthrough in defeating Hitler and his Nazi regime. They cracked a code that opened up a world of opportunity, of advantage, that brought them victory. And if we can just take the codes that are written into God's Word, the patterns, the cycles, and all that's in there, then we can begin to, we can begin to open up a whole world of understanding that we might not otherwise be aware of that will give us great advantage, great blessing, great opportunity in life. All of the numbers in the Bible are significant. Seven is the number of completion or fulfillment. God created the earth in six is the number of man because man was created on the five is the number of grace because there are five major offerings in the Old Testament. There were five wounds of Jesus at the cross and there are five ministry gifts, the fivefold ministry gifts. So five is the number of grace. Four is the number of creation the four corners of the world, the four winds, the four seasons. Three is the number of God, the Trinity. God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Two is the number of witness or testimony. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. Nothing can be established except by in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And one is the number of beginnings. And you say, well, that's great, but Really, what kind of, how does that apply to my own personal life? It applies very significantly because if we are aware of the significance of those numbers, we are aware that there are promises that are attached to, to our understanding of that. There are doors that are open through our understanding of that, and it gives us opportunity to understand how God is working in the midst of this huge uh, kind of... Um, What's the right word? This, this huge uh, uh, kind of span or spectrum or extent of all that God is doing in our world today. Of course, seven, the number of completion. There are seven, uh, six days. God said you'll work. On the seventh, you'll rest. So in the Old Testament, what did you do on the seventh day? You rested. You took the Sabbath. What happened if you didn't rest on the seventh day? You died. Well, you were killed. Because the law said that anyone that did not keep the Sabbath should be stoned. Yeah, that's, that's serious. But that's a picture to all of us that if we don't take one day of the week to rest from everything like rest we're going to experience that in our own lives. We're not going to necessarily die physically, but we cannot be replenished. And so we need to apply that principle to our life. We need to have one day where we switch off, or one day, you know, I don't care whether it's gardening. I switch off when I'm gardening, whether it's watching soccer, which is probably the best way that you can switch off. Anyway, whatever way it may be, except for the Euro finals, and I won't talk to Jeff Geiger about the Italians right now because I have to find it in my heart to, to, to forgive them uh, for their dark tactics. Um,
So all of these are, are, are principles. Uh, do I understand the power of two? The power of two is that when two or Jesus said, again, I say to you, if two agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And so we understand the power of two, the power of us being together, the power of us being in agreement. And all of these things and all of these numbers are significant because they are significant keys. In the Old Testament, we honored God on the seventh day of the week. Well, we're not in the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament where we honor God on the first day of the week. The first day of the week was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The first day of the week was the weekday that the church began to honor God and worship God. And what God says is, if you honor me on the first day, I'll honor you for the next six days. I'll honor you for the seven. And so I've understood that principle that if I honor God and on the first day of the week, I know that he's going to honor me. Oh, well, God's going to honor me anyway because God's a God of love and God's a God of grace. Yes, God's a God of love. God's a God of grace. But he doesn't, when he has principles encoded in his word, when he has patterns that he gives to us for our life, we can live apart from those patterns or we can live with our own code, but we can't expect to get the blessing that is attached to living according to God's pattern and according to his codes. Does that make sense? And so I want to find those. And I know that they open up all sorts of blessing to me. Um, all of these numbers have significance. For example, in the Old Testament, the, and, and even today for Jewish people, the bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah takes place at the age of 13. Why? 13 is the age of spiritual maturity and spiritual accountability. Men could not go to war. Military service began at the age of 20 in the Bible. Uh, 30 was the age of spiritual maturity, which was the age that Jesus was when Jesus came into full-time ministry. Um, before 30, you don't really know anything. Um, you know, it takes you to get to 30 before you begin to realize, you know, you've had a few knocks. You, you, you realize that your parents are not going to bail you out every time something goes wrong. You realize you've got to be responsible and... Have I, are you with me or...? Okay, good. That's good. And all the people over 30 go, yeah, I know what you're talking about. So, 15, and I'm just kind of setting the scene because I'll continue with this next week. So, if you want to hear this second part, you can come next week. But 15 in the Bible is the number of rest and restoration. Now, why is that? Well, because that's what God made it. But there's a reason for that. In the Old Testament, God told Abraham, God told Abraham on the 15th day of the first month of the year, in 400 years' time, your descendants will go down into Egypt, and they will be, uh, they, it wasn't 400 years. He said, your descendants will go down into Egypt, and they will spend 400 years there before I deliver them with a mighty hand. God told Abraham prophetically on the 15th day of the first month of the year what was going to take place to the nation of Israel. And it all had to do with their captivity and their deliverance. It had to do with the fact that what happened is 400 and however many years later, 470 years later maybe, on the 14th, how many? Thank you. I taught you in Bible college, and I taught you well. 430 years, 430 years later, the Passover took place. The final plague hit the Egyptians, and the nation of Israel were liberated from their slavery, and they came out from being an enslaved nation to becoming a free nation. That took place on the 14th day of the month. 14 in the Bible is the number of deliverance. 
but 15 is the number of rest and restoration because on that day they celebrated that they received rest from their rigorous labor under, in, under their slavery and they received restoration and they were freed from the captivity that they'd experienced for 500 years. That was the first month of the year. But on the seventh month, which is the first month of the second part of the year, on the 15th day of the month, the Jewish nation celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles, or what's also known as the Feast of Wheats, had a twofold purpose. It was the day when the nation of Israel, on the 15th day of the first month of the second six months of the year, celebrated the, the Passover, which was on the 14th. And the next day, they celebrated the Feast of, of Tabernacles, where they celebrated how they came out of Egypt and for 40 years in the wilderness, they lived in the wilderness. And they built uh, huts and shelters, and they all go and camp out for a few days in, in these huts and shelters to remember that they camped in the wilderness for 40, day, for 40 years. But it's also symbolic of the uh, harvest, and it's like a harvest festival. And the fact that they who had been captive and who wandered came into the promised land, which was the place that God gave them where they could rest and where all that had been lost could be restored. And so the 15 has within it a huge significance when it comes to rest and restoration. And I want to close with this because next week I want to talk about rest. How many of you know that you can go on a vacation expecting rest and experience no rest at all? How many of you know that you can get to a weekend Friday and think, oh, I've got a weekend of rest and on Monday you're more exhausted than you were on Friday? Rest. How do we experience true rest? And I want to talk about that next week. How do we experience true rest? And then I want to talk about restoration, how we can experience restoration. But the thing that I want to leave with you today on this our 15th birthday is to talk about the significance of that for each and every one of us, for us as a church, but also for each and every one of us personally. Like I said earlier, does that mean that you know, I'm a part of Newport Church, so we had our 15th birthday, so I'm going to experience nothing but rest for the rest of the year? I'm going to experience restoration in every area of my life? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that when we get to this milestone, God says, pause, take a moment, and look at that milestone. Whether you've been with us for 15 years or not, collectively, corporately, we are a part of that. And I want God saying, I want to highlight to you two words, rest, restoration. And I feel that those words are highly significant at this juncture of time, 18 months after we've had the most turbulent 18 months that most of us have experienced in our lifetimes. In a time when people have lost a lot more maybe than in recent memory has been lost in an 18-month period. And that God is saying, this is a fresh moment. This is a new moment. This is a time when we're entering a new season. We're entering a new phase. There are new things that, happening, that are happening. And if you can look into my word, if you can look into my promises, and if you can see what is encoded in my word, if you can see what is encrypted in my word, if you can see what's written in my word, if you can see the cycles, the patterns, the sequences that are in my word, I want to unlock for you a whole new era, not only of understanding, not only of revelation, but experience of the rest that I want to give you, how you can rest 
Not live resting from a place of work, but working from a place of rest. And where you can experience restoration. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you lost relationships. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost a whole lot of money. Maybe you lost time, experiences that maybe you'll never get back. Kids that graduated from college that could never experience a normal graduation service. And it's like, I'll never experience that again. But I want to tell you that God is a God of restoration. God will restore what the canker worm has destroyed. God declares in the book of Zechariah, Come to me, you prisoners of hope, for this day I will repay you double. And I want to encourage you to lay hold of God in this coming season. To know that rest, does that mean that we just kind of check out and go on a vacation? No, it means that we experience rest, true rest, and that we serve God and we serve our generation and we serve each other and we love our families and we work, but we're working from a place of rest, not internal turmoil. And that in the midst of it, we are declaring, God, your word declares. It is encoded in your word. It's encoded in that very number, in that very milestone at which we stand. You're a God of restoration. And I'm declaring restoration over my family. I'm declaring restoration over my workplace. I'm declaring restoration in my life, in my church. I'm declaring restoration in this city, restoration in our nation, restoration around the world. We are believing you because you are a God of restoration. And you promise in your word that you will repay us double. Don't go looking for that person to repay you double. Look to God. Say, God. In the Word of God, it says that what the thief has stolen must be repaid double. In the book of Proverbs, what the thief has stolen must be repaid seven times. God says, I will repay you double. Whatever you've lost, God will repay you double. Even those things that cannot be replaced can be restored to you in the sense of God's grace so that you can navigate this next season from that place of strength. I want our worship team to come together right now, uh, come to the platform, and I'd, I'd, like, I'd love to ask you to stand, and we're going to sing a song right now. That was the very first song that we sang as a church uh, 15 years ago. And that song is None But Jesus. And Brooke Fraser, who's now Brooke Lidgerwood, who, who wrote that song, um, was with us for that first service. She was here in this area. And I asked her and I talked to Di and I said, wouldn't it be awesome to have that song be the first song that we sang and so we asked her we said would you sing that song for us on our very first service and the reason we want you to sing it is because we want our church to be all about Jesus and so that song none but Jesus is a is a very significant and important song for us and we're going to sing it right now and I want to encourage you when you sing it let's let's declare his name which is above every other name it's all about Him and His divine purpose. And when we make Him the very center of our lives, then everything else experiences the blessing and the life and the goodness and the prosperity and the health that God wants to flow from that. Let's worship God together. And in our hearts, let's declare this year is going to be a year of rest. This year is going to be a year of restoration in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's worship together. In the quiet, in 
said come to me 
all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I want to take a moment for us to pray, and I encourage you to close your eyes for a moment and just to pause and to think about Jesus, about his love, about his grace, about his outstretched arms on the cross that were stretched wide so that he could embrace each and every one of us despite our failures, despite our sin, despite all that would separate us from God. And yet he, he spanned that distance. He bridged the gap. He made the way for us to be reconnected to our Heavenly Father. And today you can... Maybe you're here today or you're watching online or at some later stage you're watching this message and there's something that's stirring on the inside of you and you know that when it comes to your relationship with God, there is an emptiness, there's a void and that void is a void that was created by God that can only ever be filled with God, with His Spirit. And He's asking you, will you open the door? Will you receive Him? and the gift of His salvation and forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. And will you receive the gift of His Holy Spirit who wants to live on the inside of you because your body was created by God to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when He's living inside you, He transforms every aspect of your life, your perspective, your, your potential. All of a sudden, is released into a whole new realm. And so I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, if you want to ask God to give you a fresh beginning and a new start, I want you to pray this prayer. Pray it from your heart. We're all going to pray it together. And I know that when you do, God's going to hear your prayer. He's going to answer your prayer. And something supernatural is going to happen on the inside of you that will be a defining moment in your life, not just for time, but for eternity also. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. And I open up my heart. And I ask you to forgive me. I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Spirit. And I thank you today that because of what you have done for me, and what you are doing in me now. I'm a new creation. This is a fresh start. I'll never be the same again. And I thank you for the gift of eternal life and of your peace and your presence now and evermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you give Jesus a big hand of praise? Let's thank God for his goodness. Come on, Jacob. Jacob's going to come quickly, and he's going to tell us a few of the things that are going to happen. Uh, and then after he does that, I want to pray for you.